Good morning, NFL fans. Welcome to another episode of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We have another guest for you today, but first we're going to lead off our show with five top storylines from some of the bottom-tier teams of the league. So uh, we're going to give – we try and give every team, all 32 teams, equal coverage on the show. So uh, we're going to be – previewing a lot of uh, playoff teams and making predictions in the next couple of episodes. So I thought it appropriate to lead off uh, this episode with some some teams that more than likely will not be around in January. Uh, that's the first segment. Second segment, we have a guest star, another Eagles fan appearing on our show, uh, but we're not talking Eagles with him. That's uh, Michael Quinn comes on and we talk AFC East. So if you want to hear about the Patriots and their egg that they laid last Thursday against Detroit or the new quarterback situation in the, with, with the Jets, uh, the injury to Mark Sanchez, although he is day-to-day at this point. He could still start opening day. Uh, but Geno Smith, of course, playing in that preseason game, throwing three interceptions against the Giants, if you want to hear about that. Or the Buffalo Bills and their quarterback situation, Kevin Cobb, his latest injury that could be career-threatening. Stay tuned for that interview with Michael Quinn. Oh, yeah, we will talk about the other team, the Miami Dolphins, as well. And in our third segment, we're not going to do our fourth and long segment this week. We're going to talk college football, something that we don't normally do on the show. But I wrote an article, made a slideshow last week, a 25 must-see college football game. So we'll go dive into that article just a little bit and uh, encourage you to go check it out. Uh, I I know I made it personally myself, but I had a lot of fun making it. I made a video along with it, so I'm pretty proud of it. I hope that uh, and encourage people to go check it out. I spent a lot, a lot of time on it and a lot of research. So, but let's go to the first five uh, stories from the bottom tier teams. We're going to start with, in my opinion, no, no offense to any Oakland Raider fans, but. Personally, probably the worst team, expected to be the worst team in the NFL this coming season, and the quarterback situation out for uh, out in Oakland, it's still not settled. And uh, the originally it was going to be Matt Flynn; he was expected to be the starter, but his performance in the third playoff or third playoff. Uh, Raiders fans wish it was a third playoff game. Third preseason game uh, did not go very well. Flynn threw six passes. Two of them were intercepted, and he had a long completion of nine yards. That Then that came on a third and 12. And to go with the two interceptions, he also fumbled a, a snap and was sacked once on a drop back pass. So <laughs> to say it didn't go well for Matt Flynn is kind of an understatement. Uh, Terrell Pryor, I want to say by default, is is backing his way into this job. However, he is playing well. So he completed 7 of 9 passes in that the, the third preseason game uh, for 93 yards and a touchdown. He also ran for a touchdown for 25 yards as well. So... At the time, uh, the Raiders were already losing 24-0 when he came into the game, so 
perhaps uh, the other team uh, let up just a little bit. Uh, who knows? It is preseason after all. Uh, but he did. He was able to close the gap uh, to twenty-seven twenty. So that was um, that was pretty. It's got to be even in the preseason. That is a notable thing. But I think the the one. Um, topic of interest that uh, tracks me to this story it doesn't really matter at the end of the day who's the starting quarterback for the Raiders sorry uh, they're not going to be a playoff team I think the overall the overarching thing here is Matt Flynn and everybody was so high on Matt Flynn oh my god he six touchdown passes against the Detroit Lions in week 17 of 2011 remember that well, that was with the Green Bay Packers, and I mean, who cares if it was um, in the, in the snow and in bad weather? Everybody was saying that uh, Flynn was the next big quarterback. Uh, set a franchise record that day for I forget if it was most touchdowns in a game or most passing yards in a game. It might have been both. I'm not exactly sure. He but he set records in that day, Packer records, and that's pretty impressive. Although Packers haven't been known to be a, a real heavy passing team in history. But Bart Starr, Brett Favre, and now Aaron Rodgers, and those records belong to Matt Flynn. Uh, he just had one really great game, and that's it. <laughs> he hasn't had a good game since. Hasn't even gotten close to the six touchdowns again in the regular season or preseason. Uh, he, he played for... Uh, the Seahawks last year after you know the big game in 2011, 2012 in Seattle got beat out in training camp by Russell Wilson. Obviously that looks like a good decision by Pete Carroll, so you know no no arguing there, but it looked like okay, Flynn is going to go start somewhere else. It kind of reminds me of Kevin Cobb. Kevin Cobb bouncing around from team to team and it's like uh, and we talk about Kevin Cobb with um, with Michael on the next segment. It's just like, okay, okay, um, maybe the next team. Maybe the next team will be good. He's not going to play with the Packers, but the Seahawks need a quarterback. And then they find a better quarterback. And it's like, okay, well, the Raiders need a quarterback. Matt Flynn, right? Well, no. Now it's Ralph Pryor stepping in. I just think... In this day and age with the social media and instant gratification is the best way to put it, um, everybody wants to talk about what have you done lately and guys who have big games get blown up to be the next big thing and it's it's one game. And that's why for most of the, the off season, I've been reluctant to say that Colin Kaepernick is going to have a great season. Because that's just one example. I, I've applied it to a lot of different players, but... The reason is he's played in 10 games. Yeah, that's 10 times as many as Matt Flynn, but still, it's a very small, small sample size, and it's very easy to get carried away. I think Colin Kaepernick is a different case than Matt Flynn. I'm not trying to say Kaepernick and and Flynn are going to, you know, both they're both on the same level and Kaepernick is going to become Matt Flynn. That's not at all true. Kaepernick will be a decent quarterback this season. I'm just reluctant to make him an all-pro or make the 49ers a... I, I don't know if they're the favorite in the, in the NFC, but that'll be something that we discuss uh, in the, the next coming shows. But to the Raiders, with Terrell Pryor, can he win them some games? 
not with the roster, not with the, the the receiving core that he has, not if Darren McFadden plays in as many games as he, as he did last year and rush for the, the number of yards that he did last year. This, Darren McFadden is a should be a one thousand yard running back, and he, I don't think he even came close. I mean, he didn't even get six hundred yards last year on the ground. I don't think it was somewhere in the ballpark of that anyway. So, if it's Matt Flynn or Terrell Pryor, in, in my mind, it doesn't really matter. Their their number one and number two wide receivers are Denard Moore and Rod Streaker. Uh, so not exactly the the cream of the crop there for receivers and the defense. Eh, it's just okay. Uh, there aren't any notable stars on the defense either. So again, it's going to be another long year in Oakland, and you can just hope that Dennis Allen makes it to uh, February with his job. Quite honestly. All right, let's go to the NFC South now. To the Carolina Panthers this is a team that I think is. Somewhat intriguing to some people. I think the NFC South as a whole is an intriguing division. There's a lot of good teams down there in the Falcons. I've talked about how the Saints are going to be a team to reckon with. I talked about that on Alex Reamer's podcast, FN Today, last week. And um, to Tampa Bay, I've mentioned, is going to be the most improved team in the league. So that kind of leaves Carolina the odd man out. Uh, but one player on Carolina that I really think is going to shine this season, and it's not Cam Newton. It's not actually anybody on, anybody on their offense. Uh, I'm going to go with linebacker Luke Kukli, and I still haven't been able to figure out how to pronounce his last name. Maybe I finally will if Carolina ever plays a primetime game. Uh, but, and I'm not counting Thursday night's preseason game. I guess that was a primetime game. I missed that one. Uh, John. Uh, speaking of that game, John Gruden during that Thursday night telecast, said that uh, the linebacker, Luke Kukli could end up one day being Defensive Player of the Year in the NFL. Now, <laughs> I've read this in multiple places, how John Gruden is uh, showers players with praise, as, as a Yahoo phrases it. Um, he's just ultra, ultra positive. And... I read somewhere where that is because he's hoping to come back and coach again and he doesn't want to step on anybody's toes, rightfully so. But I just love the way that he announces. This is a little side note from the Carolina Panthers. John Gruden, I guess you could say, yeah, he's he's not critical enough. He doesn't really tell you when, when something goes wrong. But but you know you know what? I really don't think that's the case. When someone's not playing well or when a, lot, when a group of players, it's, it's more likely with a group of players not playing well, he'll flat out say it. They need to get it together. They need to work on this. And you know what? It's spun in a positive way. It's not blatantly saying this guy stinks. This group stinks. But I think it's a very effective way of analyzing. And you know what? I like his take Maybe I like it because it's fresh. Uh, at least it's been fresh the last couple of years because no one else really analyzes the way he does, the ultra-positive way. But when, but listening to him, especially on Monday night when supposedly the best players, the best teams are in the spotlight, it just – listening to him and the way he talks, it just reminds me what freak athletes all of these guys are. 
And John Gruden really does a great job of conveying that. He conveys the idea that everybody on the field is so talented, so athletic, so strong, so fast, so powerful. And yeah, I mean, some guy might be the third string um, tailback or or the fourth wide receiver on a team, but he's still going to beat me in the 40 by 20 yards. So I think they should be praised in in terms of what they can do and their skill set. I think that's the big difference between Gruden and other analysts. He analyzes skill sets and praises them, and why not? Everybody in the league is talented. They have to be if they make the league. So that to me is a nice fresh take. Maybe in a couple years it'll be old and it's like, well, I want to be – I want to hear the the criticism again. But I really like John Gruden. I I like – uh, a lot of announcers, though, that most people don't like or don't take to. I really like Chris Collinsworth as well. Uh, but that, that'll that be a different discussion. I've uh, sidetracked enough. But to to my point about John Gruden on, on Luke Kuechly, I think the linebacker will be able to win a defensive player of the year someday. I, I think um, John Gruden's... Uh, claim is not too out of the ballpark here or or too outlandish and he had a great game on Thursday to back it up he uh, really shined against a team that the Ravens is typically a very good um, defensive team and he was the star he made seven tackles picked off a pass forced a fumble and two pass defenses so a very very good game uh, out of a Kukli, and he probably didn't even play the whole game. He maybe played a half, and that was in a half. <laughs> so a uh, very good game there from uh, the second-year man. We'll continue to see strides from him in Carolina. And uh, if you're looking for a reason to watch the Panthers this season, if you get a chance, besides maybe a Cam Newton, who's an exciting quarterback, running quarterback, um, watch it for this linebacker. He's a, He's a stud. All right, back to the AFC and actually staying in the South, uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars, another team that's trying to figure out their quarterback situation. Uh, Blaine Gabbert is expected and, uh, well, I should just leave it as expected to be announced a starter. Uh, the rumor is that uh, the new head coach, Gus, Gus Bradley, will announce the starter on Monday, so later on uh, the day this podcast was released. But uh, Gabbert has been been uh, knocked up with some injuries, uh, banged up, I should say. And uh, the latest one is his thumb. He has a hairline-type fracture in his right-throwing-hand thumb. So that could keep him out of the, the opener against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the the backup for the Jaguars is the veteran Chad Henney, who Gabbard has been battling all offseason long for the job. And uh, presumably Gabbard was going to be named the starter. I don't know necessarily that Gabbard was going to be named the starter because he's outplayed Henney. Um, that, <laughs> uh, to me, might not be true. Henney... Henny is the short-term solution for the Jaguars, and that's the the tough thing. It's a tough situation for the head coach Bradley. Henny gives the Jaguars probably a better chance to win this year, but long-term, he's not the solution. But I'm not even sure long-term Gabbard is the solution. This is going to now be his 
his third season, and he hasn't really made much strides. So this could be the make or break year for Gabbard if he ends up being healthy and and playing. Uh, this is this is a make or break year for him. Uh, the Jaguars and and Gabbert obviously hoping that he'll be ready for opening day, but we'll keep a close eye on him. Uh, not that it matters much for the postseason, but for his career, we will uh, keep a close eye on if Gabbert can play in the opener against the Chiefs. Another quarterback uh, battle, and not from the same team, but from the same draft class. We get, we talked about quarterbacks so much last year with the rookies, uh, Russell Wilson, Andrew Luck, and RG3 all shining and fighting for that uh, Rookie of the Year, uh, uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year awards. I don't know if that last one is an award. Uh, maybe I just made that up. Uh, but the other two quarterbacks from that same class and <laughs> two of these guys going early as well that kind of forgotten, Ryan Tannehill and Brandon Whedon, both of them, I, I thought we should check in on how they're doing this uh, this preseason, and we're going to talk about Tannehill and the Dolphins more uh, in the second segment. But Brandon Whedon, under uh, new coaching staff in Cleveland with Rod Chazinski, the head coach, and Norv Turner, the offensive coordinator. He's been doing a lot better. Uh, the reports out of there is North Turner wished that the passing game got more effective. Uh, he's, they, he's, he still says there's a lot of work to be done, but strides are being made there. And uh, good for them because Brandon Whedon turns 30 in October. So not exactly a lot of time there for that guy. I, can't, I still can't believe they picked him at, I guess he was 28 when they drafted him. That's just that's insane. Uh, that's a whole nother debate. But Ryan Tannehill, uh, much younger and actually doing a lot, a lot better um, than. Well, I, I don't want to say a lot better, but he he's been really shining this uh, this preseason. And to me, maybe I'm just saying this because I I, I selected him in my first fantasy draft. But uh, Tannehill is a guy that I think you should have on your radar. In, in deep leagues, 12 teams or more, uh, he's, a, he's a viable backup. Uh, with weapons like Brian Hartline, Mike Wallace, he's going to be a guy that I think is pretty decent. I actually took him over Andy Dalton in my draft. So um, Tannehill, I'm hoping, will have a pretty good season and uh, continue to get better in his second year, which is all, all reports suggest he will. But we'll talk more about him and the Dolphins in the next segment. And for our last opening segment story, we're going to go to Arizona and talk about the Cardinals and a stat that I think is really underrated in the NFL. We've, we've talked about red zone defense in the last years. If you've been a listener of the show since uh, its inception last summer, uh, we've talked about red zone defense and how red zone defense is, is one of the key stats in terms of having an effective defense yeah, turnovers are important. Yes, sacks are important. Yards given up, passing yards given up. But once that team gets into the red zone, can you hold them to three points or force a turnover? And the same thing goes for offense. Red zone efficiency. How often do you score touchdowns when the when you get down inside the 20? It's a lot harder to move the offense inside the 20-yard line because there's less room to work with. And I did a little research, 
And uh, I read an article about how the Cardinals are not doing very well in the red zone this season so far, this preseason, and uh, how they've been working on it in uh, in practice. But they're actually one for nine so far, uh, scoring touchdowns inside the twenty yard line, which is which is pretty awful. Uh, the average is above fifty percent, uh, so they're well below that. And I took a look back into Bruce Arians' past, going back to 2007 when he started as offensive coordinator for the the Steelers. And that was the best season Pittsburgh ever finished under him in red zone efficiency. They finished 7th at 59%. Since then, they've fallen well off that mark. In 2008, they won the Super Bowl but finished 14th. So just above average in red zone efficiency. 2009, they fell to 22nd. And then the next two years, 15th, just above average when they returned to the Super Bowl in 2010. And then his last year with them, 17th in 2011. Personally, I follow the Steelers very closely. I think that's one of the reasons why Bruce Arians was let go as offensive coordinator there. Yes, he, had been, he was a good coordinator. He was effective. He was there. He, he took the team or helped the team win a Super Bowl and go to another one. But I think the owner and I think maybe partially Mike Tomlin, although I don't think he had a whole lot to say in the decision, they wanted the offense to take the next step. And that was never going to happen with Bruce Arians. So they brought in a guy, Todd Haley. They're still waiting on him taking the offense to the next step, but hopefully for the Steelers in their second year, they're hoping that he can help the team make that next leap into the elite offenses. But this is something that I think has kept Pittsburgh from becoming elite, scoring in the red zone, settling for field goals rather than getting seven points. And again, it was a problem in in Indianapolis. Talked about how Bruce Arians is such a great offensive coordinator. He did a great job leading Indianapolis last year in the absence of Chuck Pagano. But Indianapolis finished 21st in red zone efficiency, just above 50%. And now you see Arizona struggling with it. They're at 11% right now in the preseason. They're not going to be that bad in the regular season. They can't be. But this, to me, is a red flag for, for Bruce Arians and his play calling. I'm not sure what it is, but the guy can't really call effective plays inside the 20 and get into the, into the end zone. Now, I, I do think Bruce Arians is an effective coach. I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I think he can do a lot for developing quarterbacks. He did a lot for Ben Roethlisberger and obviously did a lot for Andrew Luck in his first season. I think he will help the Cardinals out a lot. But will he be able to take the Cardinals back to the top, back to the Super Bowl, where they lost to his Steelers? I'm hesitant. Obviously, the Cardinals are well away. They're far away from that. The first step is just to get into the red zone, get points, win games. That's the first step. But I am curious to see how the Cardinals finish in the red zone and their red zone efficiency, I really think it's one of the most underrated stats in the NFL. 
All right, that was a lot to comprehend in our first segment. We're going to take a break, and then we'll come back with that interview with Michael Quinn. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We're now going to go to that recording with Michael Quinn, the interview I had with him last night. We're going to welcome in uh, Michael Quinn, Football Nation contributor on FootballNation.com. Thanks for coming on the show, Michael. I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so second straight week of guests and uh, second straight week of Eagle fan guests, actually. So last week we talked the Eagles. This week we're going to go to the AFC East. Uh, let's start with the Patriots. Uh, looked really good early on in preseason, putting to bed a lot of the doubts that people had about uh, Tom Brady and the offense that was going to struggle without all those pieces that they're missing from last year. But laid a real uh, egg against the Lions, losing forty to nine. Is Thursday's loss at all alarming for New England? We got. We looked at the first year preseason games. I mean, Brady was electric. I mean, he played lights out. I know. I know we're not really worried about the offense, um, but I think the defense is going to be able to uh, be able to back it up here, uh, especially coming into the season. Um, I mean, you look at Detroit. He was uh, Brady was sixteen of twenty four for one hundred and eighty five yards. Um, he didn't even have a touchdown. He just had that interception. Um, so the offense just got a bit of a hiccup, I think, and Nicola kind of steamrolled and snowballed into the, the 40-9 loss, and the defense couldn't keep up. So I, I think uh, it's not something to be concerned about. You know, we, we don't, we try, I think we overjudged teams in the preseason hmm. last year. You know, my Eagles, they went 4-0, and, and you know, <laughs> that's how many seasons, that's how many wins they got in the regular season. So I don't good think point. that uh, Patriots fans should be concerned about. I think that's a good point. Yeah, sometimes we do put a little bit too much emphasis on preseason games. It was the third third preseason game, preseason game, which is supposed to be the you know dress rehearsal for the regular season. But uh, a guy that I want to mention uh, that neither one of us actually, Mike, knew who he was a few hours ago. But the wide receiver you mentioned, Tom Brady, doing very well in that game. Kenbrell Tompkins. Uh, the second wide receiver for New England looks like he's coming into his own. Uh, caught uh, eight passes for 116 yards on Thursday night. Yeah, it's looking like uh, they finally got someone to give the ball to in New England uh, now that Wes Welker's out of there. Um, you know, Danny Amendola is obviously looks like he's going to fit in that system. Um, you know, whenever Brown gets back, you know they're going to need him. But you know, finally, hopefully they got you know a, you know at least a future number one receiver. If not right now, hopefully you know it's a guy that can hang their hat on when it comes to the receiving core. Right, he's still very young. He's 25 years old. We've talked about the wide receivers and Brady. What can we expect from the running game? Actually, New England finished seventh in rushing yards last year. Uh, will they have enough to help out Tom Brady and uh, the the passing weapons uh, as they grow and mature this season? You know, I, I do think uh, we will be able to see it um, once again. You know, Tom Brady's he's still obviously one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the league, but you know, he's getting up there. I'm sure he doesn't want to be throwing the ball. You know, as, you know, as many times as Matthew Stafford is, I'm sure he'd like to run the ball a lot. And he's got a great running back. Uh, Stephen Ridley had 
just short of 300 carries last year. That's a lot of carries. Mm. And you're talking about a team who we know for the passer and Tom Brady, we don't talk about the running game a lot in New England before last year. And, I mean, when you put it between uh, Stephen Ridley and Shane Marine, I think he's going to be a huge impact for the team. I mean, it, I, I think they're going to have a really electric offense, and that run game is going to be, I don't know if it'll be top 10 again, but, you know, it's going to be a good one. I agree with you. I think the running game with those two guys that I think it's very easy to confuse them. I'm not sure Shane Vereen and Stephen really. I guess it's because they both have first names with S. I don't know, but they um, are two guys that are very capable of uh, carrying the load in the running game and and uh, catching screen passes from Brady. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. There you go. Exactly. So it makes it a lot easier when you work because you know the defense is going to be no matter how. I mean, they're going to have to get a runner in there for them to take the focus off of Tom Brady. All right. And you mentioned briefly the, the Pats' defense and how they weren't able to stick with uh, Detroit and their high-powered offense. Is that more to come similar to that now? Detroit has some really potent uh, offensive weapons. But what can we see from the Pats' uh, defense and, and that secondary that's been relatively weak the last few years? I think they're going to be a really successful um, defense, actually, especially in the secondary, because six games are in the division, and they are facing a young division. All of a sudden, if Geno Smith comes in, somehow after last night, he comes in starting. you got Ryan Tannehill, who's still fighting the uphill battle, and then obviously the mess in Buffalo. That's just, that shouldn't be too hard. So that defense should have an easy time picking off those troubled quarterbacks. So that should, you know, they, they could sweep the division this year if they take advantage of those mistakes that, that they'll definitely be making. You can expect a lot of mistakes out of the AFC East uh, this year. And so I think in between, obviously, they got a great linebacking core. You don't got to worry about that. That's fine. So as long as secondary can hold its own in the division, I think we'll kind of get enough momentum to take it out of the division and uh, hang with some of the contenders. Right, and uh, you didn't mention the defensive line, but uh, Vince Wolfork is uh, maybe the best defensive player on New England. Yeah, I don't know how I didn't mention him. Obviously, you got Vince Wolfork entering <laughs> that line. I mean, I, it, it's kind of hard to imagine they were such a rough defense these last years. It's been a curse that secondary, but I really think it's going to be coming around thanks to the, the young division. Yeah, they're they're a team that has a bunch of good names and good and seemingly good players, even in the secondary. Uh, but they haven't really put it all together and and done well statistically. Yeah. So, well, we'll see how that goes. And yeah, I, I know that you, you, I I think you're dead on with the division thing. Um, being in the AFC East, relatively weak division, young division. Um, let's take a look at some of the other teams that. Quite frankly, I just don't think they're going to hang with New England once again. It's been a long time, Patriots dominating the AFC East. And uh, even though New England looks like a down year for them on their roster, I don't see how they won't win the division. But let's go to Miami. Uh, They signed wide receiver Mike Wallace. They're hoping he uh, is a big uh, signing and helps develop quarterback Ryan Tannehill. Uh, Can we uh, expect big things from, from Wallace this season? managed to produce that year when uh, Ben Roethlisberger was hurt or what was he used out the first few games um, so he still had, you know, he played with Charlie Bass and he played great um, so I think with Ryan Tannehill he'll be able to succeed you look at Ryan Tannehill, here's a guy who in his rookie year, he finished 20th overall in passing yards 
Um, and he, he did have a thousand yard receivers for if you're Brian Hartline. He, he got he got lucky with that guy. Hmm. But it, even even with the thousand yard receiver, Tannehill just averaged six point eight two yards uh, per throw. So you got to assume that bringing in a, a big play guy like Wallace is going to have to stretch the field. So I, I got to imagine you could. I think you could put up Bobo Wallace a uh, thousand yards first year in Miami. And, and, and I mean, he'll, he'll open the door for Hartline even more. I could see him getting a thousand yards too. I mean. We could be looking at um, Cannonhill, you know, throwing the ball here 300, uh, 300 yards per game, which is almost a 100-yard increase from where he was rookie year. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Brian uh, Hartline. He's definitely uh, Tannehill's favorite target in his rookie year, and they really had some good chemistry. And adding Wallace should just take the top off defenses and should be a good one-two punch. And all the, the reports say that Tannehill has been – making the the strides that he should in his second year. Uh, last week, he, in the fourth preseason game, because the Dolphins played in that Hall of Fame game, he went 7 of 27, 150 yards and a touchdown. And could have had another one, but there was a drop pass by wide receiver Brandon Gibson. Right. So, but one thing, one question I do have about the Dolphins, they were a team that tried to make big, big splash in free agency, but they didn't re-sign one of their really key players in Jake Long. Will they miss that offensive tackle this season? You know, I, initially, when I saw, I, 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 I think so. Yes, he was such a big name. He had such a successful career in Miami. But I'm going to go with no. Hmm. I don't think they're going to miss him that much. And, and I got a couple reasons. You know, with Long in that last year, Tannehill was sacked 35 times, which was tied for eighth in the league. So top ten, sacked in the top ten. If your guys, you're paying a guy. $11 million to protect your franchise quarterback, you shouldn't be sacked on the top 10 numbers. Hmm. So, thankfully, they don't have to pay him again those big numbers. That they're, they're getting to save a lot of money right. by, not, by not having to re-sign him. They're bringing in, uh, they brought in Tyson Clavo for just $3.5 million for one year. That's $8 million cheaper than, than Long would have wanted. So, they lose Long, they gain Wallace. I mean, in the long run, you got they needed another receiver bad, and they got a, a darn good one. And I think it's going to pay off in the end. Um, Tyson Clavo will he'll, 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 he'll succeed, and I, I think you're going to you're going to you're going to find a successful offensive line out there in Miami. Hmm. Uh, it's an interesting take. I, I think that is that is true. When we saw Long leave earlier this off season. Uh, it, it definitely seemed like more of a business move than a football move. Definitely, and we've got the uh, and, and they did bring in uh, Jonathan Martin last year, and so he's making the switch from a uh, right tackle to a uh, left tackle, I believe it is. So it might be a little bit of growing pains, but I think Tyson Clavo will help him help him take the reins. And I think you know, I, I think Miami fans have uh, you know, I mean, I think I do think it's New England's year again. You know, broken record, but uh, you know, <laughs> with the way the Jets and Bills are looking. Miami might be the next best team. Right. Do you think Miami has a, a decent opportunity of threatening New England for the division or have an opportunity for a wild card? Uh, you know, it, the, uh, I'm going to say that the NFC is definitely tougher than the AFC. So they could slip into a wild card spot. But, I mean, it, it's not going to be easy, man. They'd have to face, uh, like I said, it's going to be that, that New England uh, defense is going to be praying for mistakes, but they're going to not let him make, they're not going to let Tannehill make any mistakes, so, you know, I don't, I don't think this year, give Deion Jordan another year, Cameron Wake, they can grow together, and I, I think it'll be good things 
Okay. All right, let's go up to upstate New York. Um, you mentioned the mess that's going on up there. I think Buffalo is in worse shape than the New, than the New York Jets, to be honest. Um, where do you think this team's going to go in terms of their starting quarterback? Uh, you know, I mean, it, it has to be EJ Manuel, whether, you know, when he's healthy, obviously. But, I mean, in the obviously with Kevin Cobb, they're, they're worried that this could be a career-ending injury. I mean, he's gotten, he's had a handful of concussions, so it makes sense, but I mean, this poor guy, he's basically got the match line curse. He's supposed to start and be successful on all these places, and either he keeps getting benched or he actually has been, been all by injury. He's just the guy been getting hit and hasn't had a good offensive line in front of him. Right. So I, it's got to be EJ Manuel, the guy who's invested mm-hmm. everything in the first quarterback taken from the draft and it's just got to be. It's got to be him. There's no other answer. I mean, obviously, Matthew Leinart isn't a. Isn't a, They brought him in today. He's not a, a an answer. He's, he's a career backup at best. And the future's got to be with Manuel, and hopefully, he can get healthy soon because uh, the fans and the team need him. As an Eagles fan, do you do you feel bad for Kevin Cobb, or or do you? How do you feel about the former Eagle? <laughs> you know, I. I was really, I was a supporter when they released McNabb in favor of Cobb, and, but the second, I don't know if I'm making a bad fan, but the second, you know, he went down and Vic came in and started playing good, I was kind of, I immediately hopped off the Cobb train. <laughs> uh, but, I, and I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to say I feel, yeah, I feel sorry for him, but he had the best receiver, arguably, in the NFL in Arizona, and he still couldn't stay healthy or you know, even get him the ball mm-hmm. just dump him the ball out he couldn't even do that so yeah. I, I don't you know, I feel sorry for the guy I feel sorry for any guy whose injury is you know to, who can't play more because of an injury but you know just another I don't know I, no I don't feel I don't feel sorry for him I guess <laughs> <laughs> well I just think he's been a funny case because ever since he's been in the NFL I guess it was because uh, it was really Andy Reid who thought this is the guy that's going to replace Don McNabb, and everyone oh, kind yeah. of, uh, you know, put him on this pedestal because Andy Reid did, and we've seen him in three different places now, and just like eventually, oh, he's going to find a home. But man, the the guy just—I don't think he's just—he's just not that good. Yeah, and then plus, in uh, I believe it was 2011, the first year he was with the Cardinals, um, he. They came back to Philly to play the Eagles, and he couldn't play that game. And I remember there was reports of him giving them tips on what the Eagles were going to do, and the Cardinals wound up winning that game with uh, John Skelton, the quarterback, or something. Oh, okay, yeah. After that happened, I got really when I found out he was doing that on the sidelines. That really made me lose a little something. I'm not going to say I'm. Uh, I feel sorry for him getting injured. <laughs> <laughs> okay, still an Eagles fan at heart. Um, back to the Bills. Um, they have a new head coach, Doug Marone. He actually moves from just across the way in upstate New York, across I-90 from Syracuse to Buffalo this season. He was the head coach at uh, Syracuse, went 25-25 and 25 in Big East play. Uh, does he last longer than three years in Buffalo? What kind of effect is he going to have on the team this year? how long it takes to judge a it's longer than it takes to judge a coach I think he will 
hold on to a job uh, for that long. I mean, you look at their last coach, Chan Gailey, had the had three seasons, and he went 34 and 46, finished last place all three seasons. You know, here's a guy who, and Doug Marone, who, who had who was an offensive genius. If he can rally, he's got good offense. They can, oh man, I can't imagine if they, he can put a spark to the quarterback. They, as long as they get a quarterback, he, I think he will last. I mean, we forget. We don't. We you know, we, we focus on what he's recently done in Syracuse, but mm-hmm. he had he, he's had a really successful NFL career as a coordinator. Uh, most recently in New Orleans, yeah, uh, I believe it was in 2008. He finished with the number one offense. So I mean, he, yeah, I, yeah, I think he will succeed. I think he'll be here. Well, yeah, way longer than three years. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm completely on the opposite side on on Doug Marone. I. I Went to Syracuse and was there for all four of his years, and um, it just didn't really impress me his his head coaching ability. He might be a good coordinator and can call plays and make quarterbacks better, but in terms of leading a team, the Orange were always ready for the best teams and never ready for bad teams. And in four years, finished twenty five and twenty five. Okay, I, I see. I can. I'm not a big college guy. But, uh, <laughs> Totally know the feeling. Andy Reid was the same way in Philadelphia a lot of times. Okay. Uh, I know exactly what you're saying. It makes a lot of sense. Um, let's just go, you know, there's a lot of guys who have not had the most successful head coaching careers get another chance. You know, obviously, he hasn't had a chance yet, but hopefully his first chance will keep kicking grasp onto it and lead these guys because they're going to need it in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see Buffalo good again. It's been a long time for that for that city and that team. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's go to the last team, the New York Jets. Uh, we're looking for not only a quarterback on this team, quite honestly. We're looking for one player that's going to lead this offense. Santonio Holmes, the wide receiver, doesn't look like he's going to be playing week one. At running, bo- running back, they're counting on Chris Ivory to be the starter. Uh, they have a couple other guys that won't blow up your skirt. Um, who's the leader on this offense? I wish I could give a surprise answer. I think Geno Smith's going to come out and lead this offense, but, you know, no matter who the quarterback is, no matter if San Antonio Holmes shows up week one by some miracle, I think it's going to be Chris Ivory, you know, that, that, that does lead this team because no matter what, it doesn't take a professional quarterback to hand off the ball, and whether it's Mark Sanchez or Greg McElroy, you know, I think Chris Ivory's going to get his touches. Um, he's never started 16 games in his career. He played fourth string at one point in New Orleans, and I mean, he's had he got 716 yards in only four starts uh, during the 2010 season in New Orleans. Mm. So I mean, he's been waiting to get a chance to play 16 games. So you put him yeah. in a place like New York, where they sure. try to run the ball 20, 25 times a game. I mean, I, I think you could put him up for a thousand yards definitely. When you look at Sean Green, who had thousand uh, yards back to back the last two years. Right, and of course, Sean Green has left for Tennessee. Uh, the offensive coordinator for the Jets, whose his name's actually slipping my mind at the moment, uh, Marty Mortenwig, uh, the yeah, former yeah, Eagle, so right? So when you said, when you said uh, bad coaches, that's actually what I thought about with uh, Marty Mortenwig. <laughs> okay. Um, I've, I've heard rumors that the, the offensive coordinator, Marty Mortenwig, um, actually has come out and said that he wants to, he wants to throw more than, than, uh, than run this season with the Jets, and that to me does not make any sense. Offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, and that makes perfect sense to me that he's only that he would say that because he, 
didn't he underuse LeSean McCoy, drove fans up a wall because how much he wanted to run the ball. It looks like he's bringing it to New York, so yeah. get ready. Buckle down, Jets fans. It's going to be a long season. All right, well, we should mention the Jets defense because it's actually a respectable unit with Rex Ryan. Um, but how many wins does this team have to get in order to save Rex Ryan's job, who presumably is on the hot seat to start the season? You know, in some coaches' cases, if they got a starting quarterback to take over, if they, you know, if they, if they take the quarterback in the draft and they want to eventually start in Geno, who we have in Geno Smith, I think, you know, some people would feel sorry for him that he had such a bad game. Like, oh, man, he got it rough this time. But I don't think anybody's feeling sorry for Rex Ryan anymore. And I think the Jets are going to come out, and they're going to have to win, uh, at least finish over 500 mm. for him. Even if, even if EJ, I'm sorry, EJ, if even if Geno Smith comes in and started week one and it played pretty good, and I, I wouldn't even know what he would have to do for him to save his job. But playoffs are bust for this guy. I mean, he took him to two AFC championships back-to-back, so if he can get him to at least a wild-card round, or I, I, th- I think that they would, you know, they would, they would let him hang around. they just try to keep picturing that guy who got him to the playoffs so many years, yeah. you know, trying to see if that guy's still there. And, you know, he's got a really tough situation. If he can make something out of this year, it's going to prove that he's, you know, he's, he's not the joke we all think he is. So it's playoffs or bust for the Jets and Rex Ryan? Well, do you think the Jets will make the playoffs? No, I, I, I you know what? I don't think they'll make the playoffs, and it's okay. going to be a shame. And um, I, uh, I, I really like Rex Ryan. I think he's a funny guy, you know. But, <laughs> you know, funny guys, there's no room for funny guys leading men in the NFL. <laughs> you know, I, I originally really liked Rex Ryan when he came into the, well, when he came into the league as a head coach. I thought he was perfect for the job. But then once the Jets became more of a veteran team rather than, uh, you know, an us-against-the-world, uh, a Goliath, a, a, a David team, they became Goliath because they went to two championship games in a row. They were no longer kind of the underdogs, in my mind anyway. They were still, you know, not the New England Patriots, but they didn't need all that attention that he continued to bring on the team every single week. Yeah. And I think another thing at least worth mentioning is which I can't believe has just, we have, I mean, I guess we, it blew up enough when it happened, but when he got rid of Revis, a lot of fans were almost in shock that they would get rid of such a good player. Mm. So if D. Milner can come in and he can play like a number one cornerback, like you know this guy can be, you know, with your team for the next 10 years, then, you know, maybe that would also help ease the pressure off of Rex's shoulders. Maybe he won't take a playoff, you know, contention to keep his job. If he can show that his two, you know, two of his draft picks, are better than good if Geno plays good and Milner can play good, you know. He could look at another year of Rex Ryan, but okay. it's going to take a lot for him to keep his job. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned those guys. D. Milner, of course, the cornerback now, one of the starting cornerbacks with replacing Darrell Revis. And we didn't mention on Saturday night, uh, Mark Sanchez got injured, hurt his shoulder, had an ice pack on it, but he is only day-to-day, so he could be starting week one still. Um, he will not be playing in the last preseason game, 
but we still have the quarterback controversy between Geno Smith and Mark Sanchez because Sanchez is scotch-free with that injury. Yep, he's looking good. I mean, it's going to be uh, I, it's, it's going to be a tough day, especially with Mark not playing. I mean, that just makes it harder. So, I mean, you're just going to have to make a flip a coin at this point. Well, we'll see. Maybe it'll be a two-sided coin for uh, Geno Smith. <laughs> yeah, that, that's uh, looking to be the case so far. All right, before we go, uh, let you go, uh, Michael, uh, let's go to the other divisions real quick. Uh, who are the division winners for you in the AFC North, the, uh, the, the South, and the West? You know, in the AFC North, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna go with the Hard Knocks team, man. I think I'm going to go with the Bengals. I think mm. what AJ Green—I'm sorry, yeah, what AJ Green and Andy Dalton are doing are just—they're looking good. I know there's supposed to be some curse with the hard knocks thing, but uh, you know, I think they're looking good. And I think you know that team—they've obviously been to the playoffs now two years in a row. You know, I think they're ready to take the next step and uh, win that division. Obviously, the Steelers lost uh, Mike Wallace. Uh, the defense—they lost uh, James Harrison, who actually went to the Bengals. Right. I, you know, I think we're looking at a good year in Cincinnati. All right, yeah, that seems to be the fan favorite in the North. Uh, can't forget about the Super Bowl champs either, the Ravens. Uh, is it the Broncos' division to lose out in the West? The Broncos, yeah, I really, I really think it is their division to lose, and I, I want to give a uh, a surprise pick and say, oh, Matt Flynn's going to lead the Raiders, but, you know, I think Raiders <laughs> fans already accepted this won't be their year. Um, Andy Reid and the Chiefs, you know, they could, I think they could get to 500 this year. I don't know about a wild card this first year, but um, the Chargers obviously are going to be hopefully on the come up. They got a, a good defense. It looks like uh, Philip Rivers has a new offensive-minded coach that's willing to work with him. But I do think it's another uh, another year for the Broncos. And I think I think they're going to take it a step further and go to the Super Bowl. To be honest, but that's just another uh, everyone picking that. So nothing surprising there. <laughs> yeah, that's also my pick as well. Uh, the last division in the South, is anybody going to upset the Texans and uh, disrupt their, now two two years in a row, the back-to-back division titles? You know, it, it, I think it's going to be the Jaguars. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's going to be between, obviously, the Colts and the, uh, the Texans. And I think, you know, that I want to, once again, I want to give the generic answer, which I, I feel like would be, the Texans at this point, but I really think the Colts can win it. I think Andrew yeah. Luck is going to come into the zone and play like that. He's got T.Y. Hilton who's playing. Like, I mean, everyone's drafting him in fantasy, it seems like. I think Andrew Luck could be looking at huh, a, a, a really good second year. Okay, we'll see. There are several second-year quarterbacks. Andrew Luck, just one of them, and he's the really the only pure pocket passer. So we'll all be excited to see how he does in his second year. I mean, it's going to be, you got a hard team in Texas uh, to beat, so we'll, we'll see what happens, but, you know, I really do think that the Chuck Pagano and the Colts are going to put something beautiful together this year, and, you know, as if last year wasn't special enough. True, yeah, last year was real special. I, I'm, I'm worried for that team if they're going to play with as much as, emo- as much emotion as they did last year, playing with their uh, head coach and his situation. Agree, I, I can, I can. All right, that wraps up the, the AFC and the, and the AFC East preview that we have. Thanks very much, Mike, for coming on the show. I appreciate you having me, man. It was a lot of fun. All right, once again, that was Michael Quinn. 
FN contributor. Check out his articles on footballnation.com. Once again, that was Michael Quinn. Actually, he's a cancer survivor. I forgot to mention that when he was on with us. I found that very interesting. He writes great stuff on Football Nation, so make sure you check out his articles all season long on footballnation.com. We're going to go to another song from Ringo Starr, The Forgotten Beetle, and then come back with some college football action. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, you can find me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. You could also email me, holcombmdavid, at gmail.com. I don't think we've ever covered college football on uh, Monday Morning Huddle. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back into the archives of the show. But uh, maybe a little bit of mentioning about Johnny Manziel here and there um, or something but nothing too extensive. But he, so here we go. Um, over the last weekend, I wrote an article about uh, the 25 must-see games of the 2013 season. I couldn't even narrow it down to 25. There's so many great contests. I had to leave it at 31, and even then, I think I left off some. So uh, I'm going to go over the top, what I thought was the top five here real briefly. We had a really long interview, so we're running short on time, but I'll get through this quickly. Number five, preseason ranked number 12 LSU going to number one Alabama on November 9th. In years past, this has been number one. So you can tell there's some great slate of games this year, uh, this one falling at number five. Obviously, uh, great rivalry between the Tigers and Crimson Tide. Alabama hoping to win their third straight title. Quarterback A.J. McCarron is back for his senior year, 3,000 yards, almost 3,000 yards passing last year, 30 touchdowns, just three interceptions, and um, his his weapons, running back T.J. Yeldon, the sophomore, uh, will be back. He ran for over 1,000 yards as a freshman, and the All-American wide receiver Amari Cooper will be out there in the in the, going out for passes for McCarron to throw to. LSU, the reason why this game isn't ranked a little bit higher, they're in a not a rebuilding season, but uh, as you could call a reloading season. Uh, they have some youngsters on defense. New offensive coordinator, actually, Cam Cameron from uh, Baltimore is now in Louisiana. Uh, but quarterback senior Zach Muttenberg uh, will be leading the way on offense. Through 12, inter- uh, 12 touchdowns last year and seven interceptions. So he should be uh, the, the centerpiece of that offense all season long for Cam Cameron. Number four, we have to go uh, to down south. Well, we're already down south with Alabama LSU. Uh, number eight, Clemson going to visit number six, South Carolina. One of the best rivalries in college football. This is actually the highest rated non-conference game that I had on the 25-game list. Uh, Clemson is leading the all-time series with South Carolina, currently has a four-game winning streak between the two uh, when they get together anyway. And both teams have Heisman hopefuls uh, in Tejon Boyd, the quarterback for Clemson, and Giovanni Clowney, the defensive end for South Carolina that took the country by storm with his hit in the Michigan game 
the bowl game last year on New Year's Day. That What a vicious hit that was. Um, so this is a big game. It's a non-conference game. It's on November 30th, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, like every single year. Uh, so definitely check out that one. Number three is also on the same Saturday. Number two ranked Ohio State going to the big house in Michigan. They're ranked 17th. My opinion, best rivalry in college football, maybe the best rivalry in sports. Uh, the Buckeyes have their own Heisman candidate in Braxton Miller, who I think ha- might have the best chance preseason at the trophy because of the the way the voting goes. I just think there's a lot of Big Ten reporters and writers are going to be voting for him, whereas the SEC reporters might be a little bit more spread out because they have more more uh, great players to choose from. Maybe not just SEC, but you combine a, maybe a Clemson and their quarterback Boyd uh, down south. So the, the, the northerner Braxton Miller I think has a very good chance at that trophy. Ohio State has a very good chance at, at winning the Big, Big Ten. Uh, Michigan might be their best test. And if all goes well for the Wolverines, they're hoping to play the Buckeyes two weekends in a row, November 30th, and then the Big Ten title game the following weekend, and uh, Michigan's hoping to win just one of those games and ruin any hopes of Ohio State going to the national championship game and having a perfect season. Number two, we go to the Pac-12. Number three, Oregon against number four, Stanford. That's on a Thursday night, November 7th. Best two teams in the Pac-12. They're both in the same division in the Pac-12 North. So they can't both play in the championship game, the title, uh, the conference championship title game. Uh, only one of them can advance to that. And uh, likely the winner of this game will advance to the, the conference championship game. And why is that so important? Well, they have a much better chance at a BCS Bowl if they win the Pac-12 though both these teams went to BCS games last year, and there's a very good chance they both go to one this year. But even more importantly, the winner of this game has a much, obviously, the loser can't go undefeated. The winner has a better chance of going undefeated, just mathematically. Although the, the both teams have tough games with Stanford playing, uh, I believe they play Oklahoma and Notre Dame this season. So, they both have a, a tough schedule, but if by any chance Alabama and Ohio State slip up, the winner of this game, and they they run the table and win the Pac-12, they're the next next team up, and they would play the whoever is left undefeated for the national title. So that is, I think, clearly the number two game on the the schedule in the regular season, and number one, pretty obvious. Alabama number one visiting number seventh ranked Texas A&M. This is strictly number one because of the rematch from last year. Johnny Manziel upset Alabama, uh, accounting for 350 yards of total offense in that 29-24 win for the Aggies. Manziel, a lot of people think, won his Heisman Trophy because of that performance against the great Crimson Tide defense. But head coach Nick Saban is going to have his squad ready to not only win against A&M, but beat them and badly. So I I think this is going to be a very great, obviously, great game. And not only is it personal, it has a huge effect on the standings. Both these teams, like uh, Oregon and Stanford, they're in the same division in the SEC, in the SEC West. 
So only one can advance to the SEC title game. And once again, the winner is more likely, well, the winner is more likely to win the conference, more likely to win the title game, win the conference, and uh, go to the national title game. Uh, if Texas A&M is able to upset Alabama, they still have to play LSU. Alabama has to play LSU as well. So LSU will have a say in the SEC West. But one of those three teams going to go to the title game. And Georgia is probably the next best team. I, I think you might be able to argue that Georgia is the second best SEC team. But uh, it's you know 75% chance on paper that it's Alabama, Texas A&M, or LSU – winning the SEC, and if you win the SEC, you have a very good chance of going to the national title game. As we've seen, they've won the last, I believe, six national titles, maybe seven. Not sure about it. A bunch of title games in a row have gone to the SEC, so uh, this game not huge just because of the, the rematch and the personal reasons, but it also is going to have a huge effect on the standings, and that one is very early in the season. Just a couple weeks away in week three on September 14th. But don't forget, check out the list, 25 must-see college football games on footballnation.com. If you call yourself a football fan, you got to read that slideshow. All right, we're going to give you one more from Ringo Starr and his album called Choose Love. The song coming up is actually has the same title. And then we'll come back and wrap up today's show. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. Your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, tweet at me, DM, H-O-L-C-O-M-B. And you can also email me, holcombmdavid at gmail.com. A quick shout-out to a couple of things before we go. Great stuff, other podcasts on the site. Alex Reamer's FN Today. Every Wednesday, he talks about a lot of stuff similar to mine, but he's more, I would say, off-the-field stuff and uh, uh, how the NFL works as a business and operation. I think that's you know the biggest difference between his and I's show, but great stuff there as well. Love to listen to it every week myself. And uh, the podcast, uh, actually live show, that... Um, Bill Enright and Todd DeFreeze does now every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, they're one of the, two of the leaders of the site, Football Nation and uh, FF Champs, the sister site. Uh, they have a, a show uh, that runs 12 to 2 every Tuesday, Thursday, and it's also available to download and listen on your iPad, iPod, whatever device you might have. Uh, and they've actually gotten more attention for this show as well as we are now available for download in uh, extra places as well. So if you you can't listen on the site, you can also download it at the iTunes store. So that's a great thing to have if you're on the go. Uh, One other thing I want to mention, Football Nation reporter Cooper Allen and I have paired up and we've been writing articles previewing each division. Uh, We've gotten three out so far, so five more to go. Make sure you check those out. But uh, Cooper Allen will actually be making a guest appearance next week on our show, and we will be doing some uh, previews 
um, verbally rather than just uh, written like our articles are. So that uh, he will be on on Monday, and we're actually in discussion about having another show next week on Thursday, the day that uh, the season starts. Believe it or not, it is just about 10 days away, uh, depending on when you're listening, just about a week and a half away from the first NFL game on Thursday night. So next week, uh, looks like we might have two episodes for you, which will be really exciting. But uh, until then, I'm going to go and try and find some peace in my mind. <laughs>